Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Suzanne Blimson. China's slowing economy has been blamed on uncertainty caused by the US-China trade war, as well as a government crackdown on high levels of corporate debt. Ravi Mathieu discusses what's behind the slowdown and why it matters with Martin Wolf, the FT's chief economics commentator, and Lucy Hornby, deputy bureau chief in Beijing. Martin, you spent the past week or so in China talking to policymakers and leading economists. What's your sense of the state of the Chinese economy and why it is hurting right now? I was actually quite surprised by what I was being told. I'd expected when I went there and I was in Shanghai and met quite a lot of business people and economists and also in Beijing where it's more government officials and economists, I'd expected the mood to be rather gloomy, in fact, really quite gloomy. But the sense that I got from pretty well everyone, including people in the private sector, is that they felt that the economy had stabilised or was stabilising, that the government had indicated a number of quite significant sort of shifts in policy emphasis, particularly towards the private sector. They were more welcoming of the private sector, which made the private business people I spoke to feel a little bit more optimistic about their place in Mr. Xi's Chinese universe. And they felt that the worrisome decline in the economy in the latter part of last year had halted. And finally, I got the impression that they felt that the China-US mess would be manageable, whatever happened, that there was a will on both sides to manage it. So to my surprise, as I indicated, the mood I sensed was rather more optimistic than I'd expected. And I must say, I have a feeling that it may be more optimistic than is warranted, but that's something else. Well, actually, let's delve into that. I wanted to ask you specifically, because of this optimism around the trade talks and the policy measures the government has taken, encouraging the private sector to think things are stabilising, What about the deeper, perhaps structural issues that you think maybe need to be addressed in order to create some sustained growth? What are the bigger challenges that perhaps lie ahead beyond the trade talks? Well, I suppose the questions outside economists and some in China have had are, first, is it actually possible, given its current structure, for China to sustain rapid growth without enormous debt accumulations relative to GDP, a further debt bubble, in other words, enlarging the debt bubble. Because if that's true, then they have a real dilemma. That is to say, every time they start the deleveraging process, the economy slows. So essentially, they have to reverse it. So that's one real big issue. That then relates to a second one. I'm just focusing on the short run. They've introduced some quite interesting fiscal measures, really quite substantial tax cuts. The Premier, whom we met, spoke of reductions of $2 trillion RMB in tax revenue. That's quite a lot of money. But he also insisted, and this is the old Chinese story, we must have a balanced budget, I, that spending will be cut as much. And we in the West would say, well, that's not a net stimulus. That doesn't make much sense. Again, it leaves you back in the debt trap. And then the final question, and I'm just focusing on the macro structural side, is China still continues to have an enormously high investment rate. It's declined somewhat, but it's staggeringly high. The growth rate has clearly slowed a lot. Can they really sustain this investment rate in anything that looks like a market 
Led economy, and that is what they've turned back to sort of emphasizing we are ultimately going to be quite market led. And that links, I should perhaps add this this is sort of broader confusion, which I got from everybody is well, where does the Chinese government really want to take this economy? Is it still in the reform and opening up period? still believing that the private sector is a crucial element with rising importance? Or does the Chinese government, at least under Mr. Xi, essentially want to turn it back to a significantly more state-led economy? And that really profound confusion, I didn't get any sense of resolution from the conversations I had. Lucy, let me come to you. Obviously, someone who's based in Beijing, thinking about the economic mood and to answer, I suppose, the question Martin poses about which direction the Chinese government might be heading. Do you have any sense that clarity is being brought to that from the people you speak to and what you're seeing on the ground? Or is there still a lot of uncertainty about the economic policy direction that the government's heading towards? Well, I was just traveling for the past two days through Hebei province, which is around Beijing. The most striking thing there is that every single advertising billboard has been replaced by a Communist Party slogan. So along the highways, when you turn off anywhere... It's all slogans in gigantic letters or photos of Mr. Xi or photos of Tiananmen Square with huge slogans on the billboards and um, no advertisements for the normal things you might see, you know, liquor or cars or property, whatever. In the cities, the mood was still okay. The restaurants were full. There were tons of crowds out around the malls at night. But what really struck me was how much building there has been with no apparent economic purpose. I mean, there are clusters of skyscrapers in the middle of farm fields. There are bridges everywhere. There are shops that don't appear to have any business going on whatsoever. I mean, there's nothing behind the shop front at all. And I think there's a lot of concern for how long this subsidized activity can go on. So what does that tell us about the state of the economy? Does it say that they're pumping money in but with no real purpose? Or does it suggest that they're doing things in the short term to kind of mask some of the deeper structural issues that Martin alluded to earlier? Yes, I think that every municipality, every um, village, every jurisdiction has a huge incentive to keep up the appearance of economic activity and not be the first to let the flag fall. So we talked about the U.S.-China trade dispute, which has inevitably hurt the economy. Can you give us a bit of sense of the slowing domestic economy? Because it's not just the trade dispute, but actually some of the internal indicators aren't great either. Well, it's not just the trade dispute, but I think what we forget is that the export sector is often the most profitable part of this economy. And on the investment side, China is still hugely reliant on its access to the Western capital markets and their support of the China growth story. So when you see that threatened or that cut off, then you push China back onto its domestic footing. And there the picture gets a whole lot dicier. You've got pockets of real success. And you also have some pretty deep pockets of negativity, I would say. And it's really hard to tease out how much that's been masked by the development that I described, which has no apparent economic purpose. I mean, you mentioned also the advertising point in the rural bits of the country, which I find quite interesting. Does that also suggest there are worries that the economic slowdown could have social consequences, unrest, for instance, or social unease? Is that part of the calculus that the government's having to deal with as well? I think the main calculus is that the primary criteria currently for the bureaucracy is very effusive expressions of political loyalty. And so that is being done everywhere but it's less clear what other elements of good governance a local bureaucrat might have to display. 
to a certain extent, that's good if it takes off the pressure to grow at all costs. But on the other hand, everything I can see about the empty buildings implies to me that people are still trying to do that grow at all costs, too. Finally, Martin, let me come back to you. We talked a lot about the impact on China of the slowing economy. What are the implications for the wider global economy if China doesn't right itself soon? Obviously, Lucy's raised some of the profound questions about the basic stability of the system and particularly of its extraordinary investment, a lot of which has been in construction and a lot of which absolutely clearly has been wasteful. So let's assume that they can't sustain that or decide not to sustain that. Assume, too, that the private sector morale continues to be bashed by a combination of American pressure and this very obvious shift towards the state, which she's also described. And the true growth momentum continues to slow. Maybe the economy grows in real, real terms at three or four percent. Well, the effect on the world of this is quite significant. China is obviously a gigantic commodity importer. And this would certainly affect the imports of commodities from a very large range of both developed and developing countries. China is a sort of regional hub for makers of components for its export machine all around the region. That's very significant. And then there are a lot of very significant economies for which China has become either the biggest or close to the biggest export market. So you look at Germany, for example. Japan is obviously in the same state. For Germany, China is pretty well as important as the US. And I met at the China Development Forum German experts, and they're very, very concerned by the slowdown. German cars, German machinery, exports, they matter a lot. And it's clear to me that the slowdown in Europe we've been seeing is to some not in considerable degree related to the slowdown in China. It's always very difficult to work out precisely how this will play out, but China is one of the three biggest economies in the world, you know, Europe, America, and China. It's been the fastest growing by far. It's been an enormous importer of commodities and industrial goods. And if this slows very, very significantly, the rest of the world is bound to feel it, and it will affect markets too. When the elephant sneezes, the world catches a cold. Thanks, Martin and Lucy. That was Ravi Matu talking to Martin Wolf and Lucy Hornby. Thanks for listening. Remember, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, you can find our latest subscription offers at ft.com slash offer. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The latest episode of The Next Five podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Bryant, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker, Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of The Next Five wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy.